This is July 4th, Independence Day, the birthday of America, so many different ways you could express it. But we have every reason to be grateful for and celebrate the blessing that we have of being uh, people who live in a country where we enjoy the blessings and the freedoms that we have here. And it's not being a nationalist to say I'm thankful for America. And I'm thankful for the blessings that we have in this country. And, and we ought to honor and give respect and honor and gratitude to those who make such great sacrifices, who have in the past and who are today making such great sacrifices so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. The country's not perfect and it wasn't founded by perfect people. Here's the problem. If we had to wait on perfect people to found a country, no country would ever be founded, right? Because we all have flaws, shortcomings, failures in our lives. But those men, there were 56 of them that signed the Declaration of Independence. And when they signed that Declaration of Independence, they were pledging their fortunes, their lives, and their sacred honor to this country. Now, what does that mean? How, how did that play out? You see, they understood that signing that piece of paper that was so well written, if you've never read the Declaration of Independence, you should take time to go back and read it. It is a, an amazing document, something that ought to be treasured as a part of our history as a country. It didn't solve everything. It didn't make everything right. In fact, it did not make us free people when they signed that Declaration of Independence. It did not. It declared that they were going to be free. And it set off a chain of events that were going to call for great sacrifice from everybody that signed that document. And many others who would join in with them in that cause that they believed in. Nine signers of the Declaration of Independence died of wounds during the Revolutionary War. Five were captured and imprisoned. Many of them had their wives and children killed during the war. Many of them left, spent their entire fortunes supporting the colonists and their efforts and were left penniless after the war. Twelve signers' houses were burned to the ground. Seventeen lost everything they owned. Not a one of them defected, even in the face of all of those sacrifices. And it wasn't just them. It was every man, woman, and child that joined with them and felt the effects of sacrificing for a cause they felt like they believed in and it was worthy of those sacrifices. And since that time, men and women in our military and their families have continued to make sacrifices both to preserve that freedom for us and to win or preserve that freedom for others around the world. You see, some things are worth the sacrifice. And we have to determine as individuals what we believe is worth the sacrifice in our lives. What are the things for us that are worth sacrificing for? We are in a series called Be Encouraged. And in this series, we're going through the letter Paul wrote, the second letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, the second Corinthian letter. Uh, you can be turning there in your scriptures if you would. Uh, either pull it up in your Bible or a smartphone or tablet there. Today... We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, looking at verses 3 through 13. As we prepare for the message today, let's, let's have a time of prayer together. Father, we come to you on this Independence Day for our country. 
we pause and offer you thanks for the blessings that we enjoy as a nation. We know that it costs a lot of people greatly for us to enjoy the freedoms that we have. And Father, to be grateful for that is in no way saying that everything about this country is what it ought to be. It's not. But it's a blessed nation. And we are blessed people to be part of it. So help us to have the gratitude we ought to have, to show honor to whom honor is due, and to continue to work for the ideals that this nation was founded upon so that everyone can enjoy the fulfillment of the sacred oath that these men took when they signed that Declaration of Independence. But Father, we know that true independence comes not from being part of a particular country or group of people. It comes from you. It comes from the freedom that is won through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And we thank you. We offer you our gratitude, our love, our appreciation that we've been set free in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In this passage today, Paul is talking about how we as Christians may be called upon and how he was called upon as a Christian to make sacrifices for the cause of Christ. And he's going to be talking about how he believes it's worth the sacrifice to have what Christ offers, to represent Christ in the world, to help others find their way to Jesus Christ. It's worth whatever sacrifices had to be made to be part of that great calling, of that great ministry, to belong to the family of God, to wear the name Christian. It's worth the sacrifice. And he talks about five areas of sacrifice that he believed we should be willing and, and, and consider to be worthy, uh, this cause to be worthy for us to make these sacrifices. So, so we're going to look at these five real quick. The first one is we need to be willing to make the sacrifice of considering our influence over others. We need to consider the influence that we have over other people. Let's pick up here in verse 3 of chapter 6. Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. In the first letter and, and all through this letter, Paul talks about something that's really vitally important for us to remember when we choose to follow Jesus, and that is we become a representative of Jesus Christ when we make that choice. When we accept his sacrifice on the cross, we accept his grace and his forgiveness, we are ushered into his family through what he did for us on the cross, and now we represent him in the world. And as representatives of Jesus Christ, we have to think about our influence over other people in that role as a representative of Christ. Our words, our actions, our ongoing activities of life, how well do they represent Jesus? And what, what influence, what impression are we making on others around us who see us as Christ followers? There was a, a guy who graduated from a private school that he didn't really like all that much. He wasn't really happy with it, but he got through and he graduated. And after he was out of there, he said, I, I don't want to have anything to do with that school anymore. I don't want to support their efforts. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, uh, be supportive of their programs or activities or their, their, their uh, ball teams or anything. I just want to be disconnected from them completely. 
Well, sure enough, uh, after he was out of there, uh, some of the alumni affairs staff were trying to track down all the alumni of the school to ask for their support for a fund drive that they were doing. And they contacted this guy's parents. They got his current information and they called him up on the phone. You know how they have people at the schools that'll call you up and try to get you to make a donation to the alumni drive that they were doing. So this, this person called him on the phone and, and said, uh, so what have you been doing with yourself since you graduated? And he thought quickly on his feet and he said, oh, not a lot, just stealing cars and selling drugs. He said, they never called back again. <laughs> you see, they didn't want that associated with their school because their alumni that they were asking for support from were supposed to be representing the school well. Well, we belong to Christ. How well are we representing him? It may require some sacrifice to represent Christ well. It may require that we think through some of our decisions that we know technically are okay for us to do, but even though we have the right to do it, is it the best thing to do? Paul talked about this in other letters too, like in the, in the book of Romans chapter 14, he said this in verse two, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now what he's talking about there is, especially among the Jewish population, when they became Christians, some of them from the Jewish heritage felt like Christians should still observe the Jewish dietary laws. Some of them said, no, we're free in Christ not to have to do that anymore. And everything, he said, he's made everything clean now so we can eat anything we want to eat. And you know what Paul is saying? You're both right. If your conscience tells you you shouldn't eat certain things, then you shouldn't eat certain things. But if you understand the scripture to say, Clearly, everything is permissible to eat, then you should understand that's okay too. You can choose to eat whatever you choose to eat. He goes on in verse 13, he says this, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any, he uses that phrase again, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. It seems like there's an attitude that has developed among Christians in our culture today that I know the scripture doesn't forbid me, forbid me from doing this, so I'm going to prove to you I can do it. So I'm going to do it just to show you I can. And that's not the sacrificial attitude of a Christ follower at all. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You have to think about how if you do this, you will be influencing and impacting other people around you. I made a decision uh, when I was getting married, that I would never drink alcohol. And part of it was because I was trying to honor God with it, but part of it was because I was raised in a family with a lot of alcohol abuse, and I saw all around me all the problems that alcohol abuse can cause. And I never wanted to do that to my family. I never wanted to contribute to that 
with my family. So I made the decision for me personally to never drink alcohol at all. And I haven't, since I got married, drank any alcohol. And, and for me, I just decided that's a sacrifice I need to make. And it's not a huge sacrifice, but it's a decision, a sacrifice I need to make to, to be the best I can be for God and for my family. And then I decided to be a pastor. And I thought, well, now that even fits better as a pastor, right? I think it's a better example for me to set as a pastor because you never know how somebody else is gonna be influenced if they see the pastor drinking and they, they think, well, it's perfectly okay to drink. Then, but what if they can't handle it well? What if they see that as offensive? What if that turns them away from Christ? You see, I have to think about that influence on others. At the same time, I know the scripture doesn't forbid anybody from taking a drink of alcohol. It doesn't. That's just the truth. I don't, you know, some people were raised in churches where, you know, you were going to hell if you ever took a drink. I understand that that's how you might have been raised. And if that's how your conscience feels, then you shouldn't take a drink. But the scripture doesn't specifically say that. So technically, yes, you can take a drink. But you also have to think about if I'm drinking in this situation around these people, what influence, what impact is that going to have on them? What example is I'm setting for somebody who may struggle with alcohol, who may not be able to handle it well? And, and again, I'm perfectly okay with somebody taking a drink, but I'm not perfectly okay with somebody just blatantly saying, I don't care if I hurt anybody else or have a bad influence on anybody else. I want to prove to you I can do this. I'm free to do this and I'm going to do it. That's not the loving attitude of a Christ follower that God wants us to have. And so we have to think about making some sacrifices as a Christ follower. It's not just alcohol. It's, it's anything you choose to participate in or be a part of, the way you dress, the way you act, the language that you use, all of those things as a Christ follower, maybe we need to be willing to make some sacrifices there to, to change some things in our lives, even though we know we're free to do it because of how it's going to impact some other people if we do that. Will it be a negative impact? Because our goal is to help them come to know Christ. And if anything we're doing hurts that goal, then maybe we need to make some sacrifices there. And Galatians 5.13, it says this, Paul wrote this too. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In other words, just because you can doesn't mean you should. We have to make that that assumption that we are going to influence other people even when we don't mean to because that is the truth. That's what happens to all of us. People sometimes are watching and looking and being influenced by us when we're not even aware of it. So we've got to start being more aware of how we are influencing other people. And we don't want to contribute to the downfall of someone else or to, the, to keeping them from coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's not a matter of can I legally do this or not? Yeah, maybe you can, but is it the best thing to do in that situation around those people and your influence for Christ in their lives? That's the question we have to ask. And that may call for some sacrifice on your part and on my part, but I think it's a cause worth sacrificing for. What about you? Well, the second one is this. We need to make a sacrifice of being willing to be faithful even in hard times. Be faithful even in hard times. That calls for some sacrifice, doesn't it? It is hard to be faithful under certain conditions. But look at verses 4 and 5 here, chapter 6. He says, Rather, 
As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. I'll just stop there. Do you think Paul could list a few sacrifices that he's made as a Christ follower? Yeah. He's been put in prison many times. He's been beaten and left for dead. He's gone through sleepless nights and days of hunger without food. He's, he's made some sacrifices to represent Christ well. But the point of him saying all of this is, listen, we commend ourselves in this way. We stayed faithful through all of that. He's not just talking about himself. He's talking about the others who were working with him in his ministry. We, as a group, we stayed faithful, even in the face of those hard things. We, we, we didn't compromise. We didn't change our message. We didn't try to hide the fact that we were proclaiming the good news of Christ, even when it cost us greatly to share that message. We have a hard time sacrificing much today in our culture because we've been so spoiled, quite frankly. We are a blessed people in a blessed nation. We really are. And it doesn't mean everything's been good for you or for me. It hasn't. But, but overall, we are a blessed people. And so we can get spoiled in being able to enjoy those comforts and those blessings. There's a, a Christian song that was out years ago that asked the question, what if we took away the great sound systems and lights and buildings and padded chairs, convenient location, all of those things we enjoy. What if we took all of that away? Would you still be committed? Would you still be there? You see, in other countries, they are there without those things in many other areas of the world. Their commitment is that strong. But we get upset if they change something we don't like and we don't want to come back. Right? Are we willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? I, uh, one of the, it's amazing to me it's still going on. One of the greatest divisive debates the church had over the past 25, 30 years, really longer than that, it's been 40 years, is music. What, what music are you going to have in the church services, right? And what instruments are you going to allow? There was a time when if you brought drums into a service, it was the devil, right? That's the devil if you bring drums into. Now, I played drums, and I was highly offended by that. But, but they thought that was just the worst thing you could do would be to bring an instrument like the drums into a worship service and use those for the music of the church, because the only sanctified instruments were what? Piano and organ, right? Those were the only sanctified instruments. Now, that's nowhere in Scripture at all. But that became what people clung to, right? And since then, there's been this battle over what can you do? What style of music is okay and what's not okay? It's a huge fight. And here's the thing. There is no style of music any church could do that everybody says, that's my preference, that's the style I want, that's what I like, and we're going to go with that, and I love the church for doing it. There's no one style you could do that would have everybody saying that, ever, in any church, anywhere. So what do the other people have to do if they're going to be part of the church? They have to be willing to sacrifice, to say, I'm okay. If it's effective, if people are coming to know Jesus 
if it's winning people to Christ, if it's being used in a good way to help people find their way to salvation in Christ, then I will support what the church is doing. I'll make that sacrifice, even though it's not my preference on the style that they're doing. And that's just a little sacrifice, really, because here's what you can do. If you like certain style of music, what can you do all week long? You can listen to it anytime you want with the technology we have today. You can, you can tune in. Uh, if you haven't got it, you can get serious satellite radio and you can find any style of music on there that you want and make that your channel and listen to it 24-7, six and a half days a week, except when you come to church, right? Except when you come to the service. You can have your preference six and a half days a week. Couldn't you sacrifice a little bit for an assembly on Sunday for the church if God's using it to bring people to Christ? Absolutely. And that's not the only thing. There's, there's so many things that we may be called on to sacrifice. And that means that even when it's hard, we're willing to do it. Why? Here's what the motivation should be. Love. Do you remember what Paul said about love back in the first Corinthian letter, chapter 13, that love chapter? You remember verse four to eight, he said this, love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, also, always perseveres. Love never fails. If you really love others and love the lost, will you be willing to sacrifice even when it's hard to help them find their way to Jesus, to help them come to know salvation through the blood of Jesus? We should be willing to make sacrifices if we love others the way God wants us to love others. Well, there's a third one that he talks about here, and it's connected to this idea of being willing to be faithful in hard times, and that is learn to think of others ahead of yourself. Think of others. Look at verse 6 and 7. He says, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Wow. What he's talking about here is this concept of having the understanding that we have to be patient with other people. That if we know Christ already, if we already represent Christ and other people out there don't yet, they're not at that place yet, that we have to know they can't actually live by the power of the Holy Spirit yet because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They can't actually love like God wants them to love. They can't actually act like God wants them to act. They can't actually uh, fulfill God's purpose for their lives until they come to know Jesus. So in the meantime, guess how we need to respond to them? With patience and love and care as we help them find their way home to Jesus. One of the things the church had been guilty of for a long, long time is being, being so judgmental in attitude toward those who weren't already Christ followers. And I've always thought that was so odd that we would judge those outside the church for not living like Christians. Does that make any sense at all? If they're not Christians, how are they going to act like Christians? Why, why would they even choose to do that if they're not Christians? Who's supposed to be acting like Christians? 
those of us who represent Christ. We're the ones who are supposed to be acting like Christians, conducting ourselves as Christ followers, not the people outside the church. Why should we be shocked that they, they accept and practice things that are not scriptural when they don't even follow scripture? They don't honor scripture. They're not committed to the scriptures. Why should we be surprised that they're not following scriptural principles and morals? You see, our goal should be to bring them to Christ so they can learn those things and, and, and begin to grow in their understanding of those things and why those things are important. We can't expect them to be there until they come to know Christ and begin to follow Christ. So it requires patience on our part, endurance. It requires us to be willing to sacrifice for them. That's why in 2 Peter verse one, Peter says, uh, chapter one, verse five, he says this, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. He adds this, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more we can add to our faith these things, this mutual affection, this these qualities of knowledge and self-control, right? We Christians need to practice self-control and perseverance and godliness. If we can practice those things in growing measures, then we'll become more effective in living out our calling as Christ followers and having the influence over others that God wants us to have. You see, we're the ones responsible for that because we're wearing the name of Christ. They're not. And so we need to be the ones setting that example, leading the way, making the sacrifices that need to be made to live out the lifestyle of a Christ follower. Because if we're willing to make the sacrifices, that puts us in a place of greater influence for the, call, for the cause of the kingdom of God. So we need to be willing to think of others ahead of ourselves. I may have the right to do this, but is it going to be best for the other people that God wants me to influence for him? When we think of our influence over others, sometimes, sometimes what we think is, I, I don't really have a lot of influence over others. And we, we discredit ourselves. We don't, we don't give ourselves the, the understanding we need to have that all of us are influencing other people all the time. Whether you are meaning to do it or not, whether you're really purposely focused on it or not, we're all having influence over other people all the time. Uh, and, and sometimes we, we do things without thinking. We don't, we don't even stop to think, how, how would that person who saw me do that even now think of Christ or his church or Christianity now that they've seen me do that? We don't even stop to think before we act or speak of how other people might be influenced by what we're doing. And so we need to do a better job of growing up as a Christ follower, maturing enough to know we have this responsibility. And that responsibility calls for some sacrifice. Maybe I need to clean up my language a little bit from what it used to be because other people are going to be offended and it's not going to have the influence I want it to have. Maybe I need to, to not participate in that activity that I used to be a part of in the same way. I, I need to make some changes there. We need to examine the impact or the influence we're going to have on others. Now, that doesn't mean in any way that we have to be perfect to be influential for Christ. 
If we had to do that, how many of us could ever be influential for Christ? None of us, right? It's not about perfection, but it is about direction. What direction is your life going? What choices are you making, right? How are you intentionally making choices and sacrifices that are going to improve your ability to influence others the way God wants you to? It's not all about you, and it's not all about me. And so we need to be willing to change some things, give up some things, do some things differently if we're going to represent Christ well and influence others well for the kingdom. The fourth thing is this. This is a sacrifice sometimes, and that is we need to learn to be joyful always. To be joyful always. Now, that sounds almost impossible, but listen to how Paul says it here, okay? Verse 8 to 10. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always what? Rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. He says, in good times and bad times, we have remained what? Joyful. I think as far as our impact goes on other people, this is one of the most impactful things you could ever do is to be able to express joy even in the hard, difficult circumstances of your life. See, people are going to want to know, how can you do that? How is that possible? Where does that come from? How in the world and what you're going through right now, the situations you're dealing with, can you still have joy in the middle of that? What a door that's going to open to talk to people about Jesus. And how your hope is in him, your faith is in him, how you know you've been through hard things before and he's always been there and he's always gotten you through it. And I wouldn't be here today without that, neither would you. We need to to look for those opportunities to still express joy and sorrow. It doesn't mean you're happy about everything going on in your life. That's not what this means. You could be unhappy with the circumstances but still have a source of joy down deep inside you that comes out during those times. And friends, that is so impressive to a world that is trying to find joy all the time. Just look at the culture around us. What are they always trying to find? Some source of joy. And what they keep finding is moments of happiness, but not a deep-seated source of joy. We build theme parks and we have entertainment that we go to and there's nothing wrong with any of those things and you go and you have fun and you enjoy the time and you go to a sporting event and you enjoy the time there unless your team is stinks you know you still uh, you have these times where you can have joy and and excitement but but as soon as you leave the concert or the ball game or the theme park and you have to get home and the credit card bill comes in where you charged all of that what happens to the fun then gone, isn't it? Because those things can't give the world what they're looking for. They can't give you what you're looking for. They're looking for something that can give them joy even when the bills are hard to pay. Even when the job is difficult to go back to the next day. 
And I believe, and I think you, if you're honest, can testify to the fact that Jesus can give you joy even in those times. He can give you a source of joy that is greater than your circumstances. And so if we can demonstrate being joyful always in all circumstances like Paul is saying here, then, then we can have greater influence. We can, we, we can make that sacrifice to look to him as our source of joy and let that come out of us even when we're tempted to complain. Oh, I know we're all tempted to complain because, man, that's the easiest fleshly response to bad things, isn't it? It's to go around complaining about it. But if instead of going around complaining about it, we can testify to how Jesus is getting us through it and allowing us to have joy in the meantime, wouldn't that be better for the cause of Christ than going around complaining about how hard things are right now? And that leads to the fifth thing, and that's this. We need to learn to express our affection the way God has expressed his affection to us. Let's pick up here again. Chapter 6, verse 11. He says, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. If you look at Paul's language in the first letter, if you go back and look at it, and in the second letter, even though he's had to say some hard things, even though he's had to bring correction and discipline through his teaching, you know what he's always, always reminded them of over and over again? I love you like my own children. And he's been open about it. He's expressed it regularly. And sometimes as parents, is it that hard to do? We, uh, we need to discipline our kids and maybe they're in this period of rebellion and you're, you're having to fight these battles over and over again with these kids. And boy, it's so hard to always go behind the discipline with the love and the reminder of how much you love them and care about them. And that's why you're teaching them these things and trying to correct these uh, mistakes that they're making and all that. It's so hard to make sure all of it is tempered with the love that you need to have. But Paul is reminding the church at Corinth, I, I want you to know I've been open about it the whole time, how much I love you. But he's also, he's also willing to say this. And I need to know you love me too. I want you to show love back to me like we've been willing to show to you. The greatest human need in the world has always been to be known and loved. It's the greatest human need in the world. And I don't care how harsh somebody seems to be on the outside, deep down, you know that's their greatest need too. It's to be known and loved. And God wants us as Christ followers who are representing Jesus in the world to be those sources where people come to know God loves them and God wants them to love him back. He wants us to be the instruments of sharing that love, of making that love known, of helping people feel and experience his love in their lives. Years ago, when the musical South Pacific first came out on Broadway, there was a famous actress that had the lead role there. Uh, her name was Mary Martin. 
And she had been in that show, and it had already been a great success, and they were coming to the end of their run, and it was going to be her last performance on Broadway doing that role in South Pacific. And a minute before she went on stage, a stagehand handed her a note. When she looked at the note, a tear creased her face because she recognized the handwriting on the note was that of Oscar Hammerstein, the one who had written all the lyrics of the songs in South Pacific. At that moment, he was lying in bed dying of cancer. And she got that note, not knowing that when she read it, almost everybody in that room would later know what that note said. And it simply had these words. A bell is not a bell till you ring it. A song is no song till you sing it. And love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. That night she went out and performed at a whole new level. One of the reporters after the show told her there was something different tonight. She said, tonight, tonight I gave it all away. When we get to the end of our lives, I think one of the most important things we're going to want to be able to say is not only did we have the love of God in our lives for us, but we, we did everything we could to give it away to others. You see, he sacrificed greatly to give his love away to us, didn't he? It's not asking too much to ask us to make some sacrifices, to give that love away to others. When you know the love of God in your heart and you remember the sacrifice that he made, isn't it worth the sacrifice to give his love to others? Let's pray together. Father, Father, we know that you have made sure we know how much you love us. You have sacrificed greatly to show us your love. And we are so grateful that you have shared that love with us. And you continue to pour it out into our lives every day. And you promise us nothing will ever separate us from that love. But Father, you've called us to be instruments of your love to the world. As Christ followers who are, who are hearing this message today, help us to recommit ourselves to knowing it's worth the sacrifice to do whatever we need to do to let others know how much you love them and want them to love you. And Father, for someone today hearing this message who has never really understood or accepted your love for them, may this be the day that they understand the price you were willing to pay, the worth that you put on them, that you would send your son Jesus to die on the cross for them and show them how much you love them. And may they respond as you want them to by coming home to you and love for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.